you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm preaching a series called Escape Room. Everybody say it with me. Escape Escape. Room. God's going to make a way for you to escape. And I've been praying and believing as uh, you came this morning that God's going to really help some of you folks out. If you're struggling with temptation, if you're struggling with addiction, if you're struggling with bondages, I just believe God's going to break them off today. Amen? I just believe God's going to break them off. So let's begin 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. That means you're not a freak. You're not um, strange. The things you're dealing with, every other person, or someone else rather, has dealt with the same thing. Okay? No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to men. But God is faithful. And if I had to highlight like a thesis of this whole verse, it would be that. It's the heart. It's the corridor of it. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Can someone say the way of escape? The term in the original language just means egress, an exit, a way out a way of escape. So this is a beautiful promise, and we've misquoted this for years. How many have heard this? God will not put more on you than you're able to bear. Okay, well, that's not what it says. It's not technically what it says, and I'm going to show you this. So, okay, let me show you a picture of an ancient boundary stone in Japan. This is an ancient, what they call tsunami stone, in a village called Aniyoshi, Japan. Now, it's my understanding, all up and down the coast of Japan, there are stones like this, but this is the more, uh, a more visible one, or one that you can actually read it. And since I read Japanese, I could tell what it was saying. <laughs> Just kidding. But it says something like this. Do not build beyond this stone. Do not build beyond this stone because if you do, you're getting into danger of a tsunami. So, 2011, as many of you remember, a great tsunami hit the coast of Japan. 29,000 people died. And all the homes built beyond that stone were demolished. Okay? Ancient boundary stone, a tsunami stone. Okay, why am I using that? Because I think what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians 10 is he's setting a stone, a boundary stone in place. And he's saying, when you enter into temptation, you're going to be okay. But first, we got to situate your life contextually in the appropriate place. You can't build on the wrong foundation or you're not going to be okay. See, we've taken this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and taken it out as this promise verse and quoted it and not looked at the context around it. So I just want to take a few minutes and expositionally build the context around this verse so we can, we can really understand it, okay? And I want to go with three things, three things you have to know to overcome temptation. First of all, you have to know that sin is deadly. Okay, say it with me. Sin, sin. is deadly. If you go back to verse 1, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. 
for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, he's talking about Israel in the Old Testament and how God blessed them. They were the people of God. God uh, brought water from the rock. He brought manna from heaven. He brought quail from heaven. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They had no sickness among them for 40 years. God defeated all of their enemies. All of that. But he says, but God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So even though they were the people of God, and even though God did all these miracles among them, yet in the end, God wasn't pleased with them, and they all died. Matter of fact, there's a verse in, uh, in the Pentateuch that says that their carcasses were left in the wilderness. Their bones, their, their ribs, their skulls, just left there as a sign of what it looks like to not believe God and not obey God in your journey. So sin is deadly. It's not something to play with. Notice verse 19 of the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says, do, do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? there was an issue in the Corinthian church. There were many issues in the Corinthian church, but one of them was that people would buy meat and then they would take this meat to a pagan temple. They would offer it to a God as a sacrifice. And then that meat would end up later in the food markets. And so some people were buying it and didn't think anything about it. The Christians started seeing this and were like, hold on, we can't do that. We know what that food represents. We know who it's been dedicated to. On and on and on. So in this context, Paul says this. He says, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot ha not have part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So what he's saying is when you start toying around with these things, what you're doing is you're opening a door to the demonic realm. So sin isn't something to be played with because uh, it ends up in spiritual death, carcasses in the wilderness, and number two, it opens a door possibly to the demonic. How do we think the demonic comes in? I mean, many different avenues, but one is just disobedience and sin, and we open up and allow these things into our lives. So sin is deadly, and sin is not to be played with, all right? Sometimes we need a hard no to wake us up. So, yeah, God will make a way of escape. God is faithful. God loves you. God has his best plan for you. You're going to live your best life. Yeah, but don't build beyond the boundary stone, doofus. Sorry. We can take this verse, but if we take it out of context, it becomes this meaningless thing, okay? So let's set it in context. Paul's talking about Israel, the example of Israel, how dumb they were. And he said, don't be like that. Sin is deadly. The next thing he wants us to know is that holiness is not really optional. Come on, say it with me. Holiness, holiness. is not optional. It's not like I hate this theology that you can serve God or you can be a Christian, but you don't have to serve God. Or you can accept Christ as your Savior, but you don't have to accept him as Lord. That's like... I smoked, but I did not inhale. <laughs> I'm sorry. Verse 6. Know these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. 
Paul said, all that Israel went through, unfortunate for them, but it became an example to us so that we don't do the same dumb things. Okay? So know these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then he classifies four different categories of sin here, and I'm just going to bring them out, and I'm going to get in your junk drawer just for a minute. All right? I'm going to get you, get you out of this, but just bear with me. And get your seatbelt on because I'm going to get in your junk drawer and go through some stuff. Number one, he says, do not be idolaters. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Verse 8, we should not commit a sexual adult, a sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. Verse 9, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Okay, you see a pattern here? When they were involved in one of these categories of sin, death was always the result. Idolatry, death, sexual immorality, death, testing Christ, death, grumbling, death. All of it ended in death. Holiness is not optional. First of all, he talks about idolatry. And he's really referring to the golden calf incident. When Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and then, it, then he came down, and Israel had created a golden calf, and they were having a party, dancing around the golden calf, and worshiping the golden calf. And what did God say? What did Moses do? God bless you. I love you guys. And I know you're going to come out of it. No, no, no. He, he broke the commandments, and he stood up and he said, Who's on the Lord's side? And the tribe of Levi gathered around him, pulled out swords, and killed 3,000 people. And then like Moses wasn't satisfied with that. So he ground up the idol, mixed it with water, and made them drink it. That's like washing your mouth out with soap, old school. Yeah, it was terrible. 3,000 people died. They had to drink ground up calf juice. Second thing he says is don't get involved in sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? The term here is pornea. Pornea is where we get the term pornography. So let me get down to kindergarten level because I think it's where we need to get today and just paint it out here, okay? Sexual immorality is sexual relations outside the bonds or bounds of marriage. And marriage is defined as one man with one woman uh, in a monogamous relationship. Some things I want to say, but, uh, you know, so if you come into our church and you go through the partner class that they did, I, I, I read this holiness code and I go through it piece by piece. And in it, we talk about stuff like I said, we don't want our bodies to be defiled. And so we want to keep our bodies pure. And therefore we stand against the LGBT community. We stand against the sin they're involved in. Not we love the community, but we hate the sin. Okay, so we can't stand for that. We stand against abortion. I love the people, but I hate the sin. We stand against euthanasia. Love the people, but hate the sin. We stand against racism. We love people, but we hate the sin. On and on and on. We want to build our our houses above the tsunami stone. So when temptation comes, it doesn't wash us out because we're not anchored in anything. 
So what happened here? What's he talking about? He's talking about when God came and wiped out 23,000 of them because they had been involved in lewd sexual acts with the Moabites. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid all sexual immorality, and that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in that manner, no one or no one should wrong you or take advantage of a brother. The Lord will punish all who commit sins like this. So it's interesting that the term here, porneia in Greek, is where we, the etymology of it gives us the modern term pornography. And pornography is a complete perversion of what God has created. And you know, like when I grew up back uh, after the Civil War, that to get a hold of pornography, you had to go and have the nerve to like go to the local convenience store and lie about your age. I don't even know if they had an age limit. I don't even know. And, 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 you know, get a magazine or something. But now you can be seven years old and have access to the most lewd and crude stuff ever just on your phone. And I really, I really, it, it makes me feel bad for the whole new generation coming up because Satan is really distorting and perverting something that's pure and holy that God has created. And so now we're going to have a whole generation or two or three dealing with this distortion of human sexuality and what God has created. Amen. Told you I'm in your junk drawer, but I'm going to get you out, all right? We're going to clean it out before the day's out. Proverbs 6.27, can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Just saying. Then he says, do not test Christ. What's he talking about here? Numbers 21, when the people told God and Moses, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? There's nothing to eat or drink here. They just were complainers. They didn't believe God was doing what he said he was going to do among them. And it really harkens back to Numbers chapter 13 when Moses sent out the spies into the promised land. Two came back with a report saying, yeah, we can do this, Joshua and Caleb. The other ten came back saying, there's no way. We're like grasshoppers in their sight because there's giants in the land. I love what Brother Kenneth Copeland said. The problem was not the giants. The problem was the grasshoppers. The problem was their perspective that they couldn't take the land. And so when they came back with that negative report, God was done with them. He said, you can't believe in my word and you can't believe that I'm going to take you all the way, that I could bring you out of Egypt and bring you through the Red Sea and provide miraculously for you and put up with your stupidness even when you rebelled. You don't think I can still carry you into the promised land? Fine, I'm done. And then Moses pleads and says, God, let your presence not depart from us because if your presence goes, I don't want to go. Or if your presence doesn't go, I don't want to go. So it's really an unbelief. And I thought about it with us today. You know, do we test the Lord sometimes with our unbelief that we don't believe He's going to do what He said He was going to do? And then the final thing is complaining. He said, don't murmur or complain. Israel murmured and complained against Moses and the leadership. They murmured and complained against God. They murmured and complained about their food, about no water. They had manna from heaven, then they got tired of it. They, they complained about not being in Egypt. Take us back to there. At least we had, you know, I can smell the onions cooking now. <laughs> Take us back. Yeah, forget about slavery. You're just interested in the onions. 
No wonder God said in Psalm 95, for 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said it's the people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. There's something, so there's something about testing God in the realm of not believing, but then there's something else that's egregious against God as well, and that is when we murmur and complain. And it's connected, I think, to testing the Lord and having a lack of faith. Why? Because when you open your mouth, then you start spreading that virus of negativity and lack of faith. So if you don't believe, just keep your mouth shut. Don't ruin everyone else's party because of your lack of faith. (laughs) I'm getting direct here. Is that all right? Come on, don't ruin our party, and we're believing God for the best with all your negativity. And if you don't want to follow the leaders, then don't complain about it. Do something else. It was interesting, you know, Watchman Nee said this years ago in his book, Spiritual Authority. He said, God forgave every sin of Israel in the wilderness except their rebelling against leadership. And when they rebelled against Moses and Aaron, the ground opened up and swallowed them. Because it was God's instituted leadership. Not perfect, but it was God's instituted leadership. And when they spoke against that, they really were speaking against what God had instituted. And God said, bye, I'm done. So Paul says all of these things have become negative examples so we don't have to follow them and we shouldn't follow them. We should get above the boundary stone and build our lives back on solid ground. Then when temptation comes, you can can resist it. Then when the winds blow, your house is going to stand. Then when you have a hailstorm. It's not going to destroy everything you have. Then when people come against you, you're going to make it. Then when you're in the heat and throes of temptation, you're going to make it out because your house is built beyond the boundary stone. Come on, can somebody give me an amen in here? So the third thing I want you to know is you can escape temptation. Come on, say it with me. You can escape temptation. You can escape temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. It doesn't mean God brings the temptation. In fact, the Bible says, let no man say that he is tempted of the the Lord. Let no man say that he's tempted of the Lord because God tempts no one to evil. So if you're being tempted to, to evil, it's because temptation works with your own lust. And you're being drawn away and enticed by your lust. Satan has a part, obviously. But you're being drawn away by your lust and pulled back into that sin. Now listen, temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. There are people tempted. All of us are tempted. I think. Notice what he said, though. Here's, here, let me give you some keys about temptation. First of all, in verse 12, he says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The first thing you must understand in being tempted is that you're able to be tempted and you're able to fall. You could fall. Don't think like, like me, man. I've been in church since I've been 16. And that, uh, 10 years ago, that was really an amazing time. But anyhow... <laughs> My birthday was yesterday, so I was getting all these 39, so that would have been 
23 years, right? I've been in church a little bit longer than that. Anyhow, all of these years that I've been in church, man, all of these years preaching, all of this time spent in prayer, all of this time spent in His presence, all of this time spent in His Word, all of this time spending, spending studying theology and history and all this stuff, yeah, man, I'm above temptation. No, 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 no. If I say that, I'm in a really dangerous position because I'm tempted just like the rest of you guys are tempted. So don't say I'm above it, okay? However, temptation becomes an invitation. Listen, temptation becomes an invitation. Number one, it becomes an invitation to be able to resist sin, which will grow you up in Christ. It's an opportunity to grow because we grow through resistance. How many of you have ever lifted weights one time in your life? Ten of you. Eleven, thank you. So, you know how, you know how lifting weights work? It's resistance. And something happens, your muscles begin to break down in resistance, and then you let them rest, and they build back, and they build back stronger. So resistance creates Growth, and when you're tempted and you resist it, and you see it as a as an invitation to resist, you come away actually stronger. I think it was Benjamin Franklin of all people who said, "I would rather deny and resist the first temptation than have to deal with the thousands that follow." Because you think, "Man, I'll just give in this one time, and it's it's this one time. It's not a problem. God will forgive me." Okay, But what happens with that is when you give in one time, then you open the door to a rushing flood of thousands or countless temptations that will come later. And I can guarantee you, they'll come stronger and harder and faster. So it's best to resist it on the front end the first time. That way you can just deal with it and get on with life and not have to deal with the other thousands of temptations. But he said, God will always make a way of escape. So what is that way? I don't, know what, I don't know what that way is for you. I don't know what it is, but I guarantee you, there's an escape somewhere. Maybe it's a confession you need to make. Maybe you go grab a, maybe you get in a closet with God. God, I confess, I got something going on here that's just overwhelming. I need your help. Boom, maybe that's your way out. Or maybe it's number two, confessing to a friend or an or a accountability partner. You call and say, hey, man, I'm overwhelmed with something right now. And I need some help with it. I, you know, uh, interesting thing, I called my friend Doug Eccles. Y'all, y'all, all y'all know Doug. If you don't, you will. And he's a comedian and he's an evangelist. So I called him and I said, dude, I'm wrestling with something. And he said, I am Cardinal Eccles. And I absolve you from all guilt. You need some friends like that. Can somebody shout amen? So you may have to call, maybe that's your phone a friend. You have to call someone to get out of that. Or maybe it's a, a, a small group. Maybe it's a life group in our church. You get involved in a life group and you're sitting before a, a group of people every week or every couple weeks that just kind of hold you accountable in a loving way. You develop friendships. There's some way out always. There's always a door out. And then sometimes you just have to be like Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Joseph is favored. 
He's uh, betrayed by his brothers, but then he goes to Potiphar's house. He's sold into slavery there. Potiphar was a powerful Egyptian, and he just gets favor in Potiphar's house. And as he has favor in Potiphar's house, one day he walks by. Potiphar's wife tries to get him to lie with, with her, and she pulls him in. And what does he do? He runs. He absolutely runs, and then he gets in trouble because of it, but at least he stayed righteous, and then in the next place he got in, God gave him favor, and then God gave him favor again until he was taken to the height of the kingdom of Egypt. Why? Because God just operates like that. Let me show you something out of this 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Something I didn't even notice till this morning as I was looking over this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except as such as common to man. That's 10.13, but look at 10.14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So it's like after he's laid this groundwork, then he says, therefore, and we all know from good biblical exegesis and Bible study, when you encounter a therefore, you stop and see why it's therefore. And so you stop and say, okay, he's making a conclusion or he's base, he's got a, he's got a foundation that he can go make another conclusion on. And he says, once you've come through all of this and once you've stood the test and once you've built your house above the boundary line, then you just need to run. If temptation still comes, just run from it. Just run. Look at your neighbor and say, run, forest. Run, force, run. Just run. Just run. Running's better. Well, it's embarrassing to run. It's better than getting messed up. I don't want to run for my friends. Better than getting messed up. So I don't do this. And I told the Lord years ago, I'm not going to do this again unless I felt led to. So I'm feeling led. So when I was in high school, I got involved with, a, with a, I mean, I didn't get really wild. I was a pretty good student and all that. But I just got into some things I shouldn't be doing. And uh, then the Lord started dealing with me. When I was 16, I got really sick and was put in the hospital. And while I was in the hospital, the Lord spoke to me. And so I'd kind of gotten into partying with my friends. And I had a group of guys I played rock music with. And so um, that was what my mind was on most of the time, it seems like. And so I'm in the hospital, and I'm in a dark room one night... And a voice speaks to me. I didn't know it to be the voice of God, but it was on the interior, not an audible voice, just something on the inside. And the voice said, you don't have to party anymore. That may not mean anything to you, but to me, it was like I was in a dark room and someone walked over and flipped the light switch on. And it was just, it was just an awakening that happened to me. I got saved after that. I went home. Another voice spoke to me the same way and said, the world's coming to an end and you better get in church. I picked up the phone, called a friend. I said, can your parents take me to church? My friend said, my parents would love to take you to church. (laughs) So we went to a little church of God and I felt like I was a man from Mars. I landed in this Pentecostal church, and they were on the floor praying, and I'm like, well, I'll get on the floor too. (laughs) Then I knew my cousin pastored a church, a holiness church. I had no idea what that meant, and they had Friday night service. And so I went to this church, and I walked in, and oh, my word. I mean, I had, you know, 
I'd seen Ozzy Osbourne back in the day, Iron Maiden, ACDC, but I'd never been in anything as wild as that holiness church. (laughs) Scared the absolute devil out of me. Shouting, dancing, and uh, speaking in tongues. My friend said, you hear them? He's speaking in tongues. I said, what is that? She said, it's when you get so close to God. He just gives you a language. I was like, what? And my mom had been raised in a holiness church. I went home that night, and I told my mother, I said, I don't know what's in that church, but whatever it is, I got to have it. It was wild, but it was something from another realm. And so after that, I went back to high school. And I had all these friends, great friends. And one of them walked up to me and said, so what are you doing now? I said, I went to church, man. You went to church. So you're going to party with us again, right? I said, no. I, I, honestly, I gave this answer. I said, no, I'm trying to go to heaven. <laughs> I said, well, you can party and go to heaven. It's like, not the way I'm feeling right now. Then another one of my friends who came out of the holiness church too, he came out and he said, what did you do? I said, I went to church. He said, how many devils they cast out of you? I said, I don't think any. He said, man, I just knew you would have some in there. I said, I don't know, maybe they left peaceably. And I remember fighting this fight. Every day it was a fight. This is a fight within Hans. Am I going to do this thing? Am I really going to live this life? Am I going to lay it down? And I had a lot of issues when I first started serving the Lord. But you know, I just kept fighting. And And God was so good to me. My prayer life was so good. Church was so good. Man, I was I was taken to another dimension. All the lights came on. What my life was about. What the true meaning of life was. Boom, boom, boom. Lights just started going off. And then I went to college, and I thought, oh, Lord. I went to a secular college, 23,000 students. And I'm like, how am I going to survive this? Because I hadn't been saved that long. And so I prayed. I don't know why I'm telling all this, but it's for some reason. And that's so I prayed, and I said, God, please, dear Jesus, give me a Christian roommate. Just give me a whole, I'm talking Holy Ghost man. I'm talking spirit-filled Jesus man. So I walked into my dorm room for the first day and my roommate wasn't there, but I saw a motorcycle helmet on his bed. Bad people, not all people ride motorcycles are bad, right? And then he walked in with a mohawk. In the 80s. I was like, all right, man. And uh, found out he, you know, was from Cincinnati area, partied every weekend, fought, partied. And we got along great. But I said, okay, Lord, I learned a lesson here. You didn't want to keep me in a box. You wanted what I had to get off on some other people. And God didn't grow me up by putting me in a corner somewhere where I could never be tempted. 
he sent me with a guy who one of the first days was saying, hey, man, let's go out sometime. And I was like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> and it just tempted. But you know what? God gave, got me through all those years. And, and I went to classes with unbelieving professors and Darwinism and guys tearing down the New Testament and blah, 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 and multiple authorships of Old Testament books. And You know what I did? I went home, and I got in my Bible, and I studied and dug, and just that resistance just caused me to get stronger. So maybe some of you, I don't know why I'm saying this, but maybe some of you feel like, well, if I could just live in a monastery, or maybe you aren't saying that. Maybe you just said, if I could just work at the church, there'd be no problems. Let me tell you something, man. It's, it, there's no perfect space. There's no perfect space. Just take it as grace that where you are, God is using that to grow you up to the next level. Every temptation that comes, he opens a door, he opens a window, he opens a way out of it because God doesn't want you to be a weak-kneed wimp of a Christian. He wants you to be an on-fire believer who can get out there in any strata of society and witness and have power and have authority and have reason and have some backbone in you come on somebody because God always makes a way I remember a story I think it should be in the Bible where Moses led the children of Israel out of the Red Sea and then they're coming out with the wealth of Egypt and then he's putting Egypt behind them in their wake and then Pharaoh hears about what's going on he saddles up his horses and his chariots and he gets the armies ready and they start chasing them all the way to the Red Sea and then Israel comes to the Red Sea which is an impassable insurmountable object in their way and what happens they have to stay there they can't go forward they can't go back and Moses stands up and says stand still and see the salvation of the Lord and then he takes his rod and he stretches his rod out and then all night God calls a supernatural wind to blow and God made a way out where there was no way can somebody shout amen I remember 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when King Jehoshaphat was surrounded and Israel was surrounded by foreign armies and they were outnumbered and there was no hope and there was a despondency among the children of Israel. But what did Jehoshaphat do? He called a prayer meeting. The wisest thing he could have done. He called a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord descended upon a prophet named Jehaziel. And he stood up and said, the battle is not yours. Be not afraid nor dismayed made by this great company for the battle is not yours but it's God and then Israel came around they started marching around the corner literally in Hebrew it's Z-I-Z it's Ziz and in Hebrew it means an insurmountable object when they went into battle they were facing an insurmountable object but Jehoshaphat said let's do this man when we go into, we go into battle let's not put the, the, the you know the bowmen out front let's not put the sword fighters out front but let's get the worship team and let's put the worship team out front and when they go into battle they're going to praise God in the beauty of holiness. And as they walked around the insurmountable object, praising the Lord, when they showed up on the battlefield, God had already taken care of the enemy. They had gotten confused and attacked each other, and Israel just showed up and counted all the booty and all the spoil as theirs. Come on, how about standing on your feet and say, God, you'll always make a way. 
Come on, stand on your feet and say, God, you'll always make a way. Come on, high five somebody. Tell them God will always make a way. You say there's no way. I say there's a way somewhere. You say, Hans, you don't know what I'm going through. No, there's a lot of people in here had a worse road to travel than you've had. Well, you've never had drug addiction. No, I can point out some in here that have. Well, you've never been addicted to alcohol. No, I can point out some in here who have. No, you've never been through a divorce. No, I can point out some in here who have. No, you've never been through bankruptcy. No, I can probably point out some in here. But guess what? God made a way out of everything that came against them. Get your faith higher than what it is. God can make a way where there is no way. Come on. Don't test the Lord by your smallness of faith. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think if you just trusted him come on give him a shout in here this morning come on give him a shout in here this morning come on go ahead and declare it my God's gonna make a way come on my God's gonna make a way come on my God's gonna make a way Thanks so much for watching us online. Uh, we're so blessed to, to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin. And I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus, and we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online, and I hope to see you again.